Hi guys, thanks for listening to this episode. We really appreciate all of the support and staying alongside the audio to now visual component of Beans Without Boundaries uh, going forward with the second season. We do have like an, a little bit of increase of cost, so we set up a little donation thing through Buy Me a Coffee. It's a little website that if you're willing to just splurge, there's an option for being able to just buy me a coffee. It also gives me a good idea if you really are enjoying our content and would like to help support and continue it. The link will be in the description underneath the YouTube video. It's also going to be in the description for Apple Podcasts and um, Spotify Podcasts as well. Uh, Whichever platform uh, would be greatly appreciated to just continue following along the journey and whatever you're willing to just kind of help with feedback, whether it's comments on the videos or just going on social media. Um, And if you're feeling typically generous, It'd be great to just throw a coffee my way. Thanks for listening in and until next time. Well, hello. (laughs) Hey, Andrea, welcome to the show. Thank you. Um, Thank you for having me. Thank you. It's so nice to finally put a face to your voice because I've heard the podcast, but I couldn't picture like a face. Well, hopefully I didn't let you down on that regard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Why don't you just start off by introducing yourself? Sure. Well, my name is Andrea Rubi and I'm part of a second generation of my family's business, which is named Ruland. And a lot of people ask, what does Ruland mean? And Ruland is the composition of my parents' last name. My dad's last name is Ruby, so are you. And my mom's surname is Landa Verde, so L-A-N-D. And, well, my parents have been producing coffee for over 27 years now. Wow. Um, they, they started when my sisters and I were very young. And our life has been divided into two big industries. My dad has always worked in mining, and my mom has been the one that's been in front of the coffee farms. So we grew up seeing both of them work in their industry, helping each other um, to make us, because um, both monies, both incomes were for us to study for our health. And that's how we grew up. We grew up in a hometown called Las Vegas. That's in Santa Barbara in Honduras. It's one of the most famous regions of coffee in Honduras. I didn't expect your mom to be the person who's in charge of all of the producing for the coffee and then your dad's the mining. What kind of mining? Well, in Las Vegas, um, it's uh, copper and silver because there's a mine in Las Vegas. But he's been in other mines where there's also gold because he's been traveling around Central and South America. I I figured that'd be exhausting and also slightly dangerous. He's done this job for over 40 years now. He recently retired of mining and he's back home and now he's learning about coffee. Well, that's great then. Obviously, you have a lot of extensive background with coffee and having watched it being a part of your family. And I think I read that your sisters are also involved with the coffee production too, or in in terms of that. It's the whole family. It's on the middle one that I have an oldest sister called Brenda and my younger sister called Angie. Um, We got into specialty in 2015, around 2015. My parents were producing commercial coffee and for us to have direct relationship with roasters, coffee shops, and like to connect these two worlds. But we didn't produce specialty coffee at that time. So in 2015, they purchased a second land which we called Finca Rulan 2. And they started planting different varieties of specialty. At that time, my oldest sister was already graduated from college, but she was working in banks. Like she -hmm. went straight to to what her career was. I was about to graduate from from college and I went back home for vacations because I was doing an internship with Disney. I was looking for like to go back and work full time with with Disney. So I was like doing that research. And my parents were like, Andrea, 
why don't you uh, start working in the family business? Like, there's a lot of things you could do here. Um, we're going to start harvesting our first crop of, of specialty, and we want someone to to connect the mm -hmm. both worlds, right? Coffee and, and roasters. But at that time, I mean, I wasn't really interested in coffee, and I was right. like, um, I mean, I don't, I don't think that's my thing. My, my, my major is in hospitality, and I knew things could relate, but well, th at that time, I didn't know hospitality and mm -hmm. coffee could relate. But I was like, I don't, I mean, I don't think so. We, the, the farms are like in the countryside. And I was like, I, don't, I mean, I don't know people here. What am I going to do with my life here? Right. And my mom was like persuading me, like, this could be a good opportunity for you. Profession, you could grow. My younger sister, she was about to start. No, she was in her second year of college. Mm hmm so my mom was at that time alone with the both farms because my dad was still in a mining company in Nicaragua. Mm -hmm. So I said, okay, I'll give it a try because I really do not know anything about coffee and we'll see what happens. So in Honduras, we have a, a cupping school that it's um, led by the Instituto Hondureño del Café, which is the National Institute of Coffee here in Honduras. And, um, and they had a cupping school, so... Like I talked with them and said if I could get in because they had already started. They had like three months in advance. Mm -hmm. And well, they said, yes, I got into the cupping school and I started learning things about quality. Um, describing coffees, actually understanding because before I really didn't even drink coffee. I, I was I could go by days and not even drink a mm -hmm. cup of coffee. And I felt very bad once I got into the school because I, I saw that everyone was like a coffee geeks. And I was yeah. like, oh, my God, I'm a I'm the daughter of one of the biggest producers here in the region. And <laughs> I just don't know drink coffee. coffee. And so I started like putting myself together and I'm like, I mean, so embarrassing. I'll, I'll, I'll start learning fast and mm. I'll. And I'll do what I have to do. But in a couple of months when I started like understanding everything and learning, I started liking it. Yeah. So at that time, the harvest, the new harvest of the specialty coffee started. So everything that I was learning in, in the cupping school, then I was putting in, in, in practice in the farms. Like how do we, like in commercial, we don't do the handpick of just cherry, like the red cherry. Mm -hmm. It's kind of different how it works. And here it's just the red cherry to keep with the quality. So... My mom said, you're going to lead this harvest. You're going to, this is your group of people. This is the people that's going to be with you the whole year for the harvest. And you're going to lead them. You're going to tell them what to do. So everything was new for me, like drying coffee, fermentation, washing. But it was a very small harvest that year. And um, and when that harvest finished, like we, we dried that coffee, it was ready. So I remembered at that time that um, when I was at Disney, there was a roaster that distributed the coffee to Disney. So I said, this is the only person that I know right now that I could like share my, my, my green beans. Mm. So I traveled, I took samples of what we did that year and I introduced myself. I said, I'm Andrea, I'm a coffee producer and I wanted you to cup this coffee Thankfully for me, the day that I did that, I, I met like the owner of the roaster. So he was really like intrigued that like, he never met like a producer right. and never a producer walked into the roaster to like with green coffee. So he was like, I'll be happy to, to sample your, your coffee. But he said like, it's going to take like two weeks and I'll let you know. So that was fine. I went back home and then I received an email saying that they actually liked our coffee and let's negotiate the price. Wow. So for me, that was the opening for specialty coffee. And I said, like, I feel that I belong here now because I, I really liked all the hard work that we did, not just as a family, but all the people that's involved and hearing like a good response of all that hard work. It felt really nice mm -hmm. for me. It was like a huge, whew, mm -hmm. I did <laughs> You gathered so much information in such a short period of time, you know, like you had just kind of like followed what your mom said and, and like learned all about coffee in an intimidating atmosphere of already being like, there's a lot to learn. And then yeah. I found it interesting, though, from the beginning of the story, it started with Disney and then it still connected to Disney by the end of it. And it's like the yeah. appreciation for the journey 
Um, like, do you still work with that uh, that ro- roaster with your coffees too? Yes, and and we've got a very nice relationship with him. Like, he bought coffees from Honduras, but he never met producers. Mm-hmm. So the next harvest, he was like, "I want to travel to Honduras and I want to go to your farm." Yeah, and obviously. They what they buy most is volume, more, more more of commercial than specialty. Yeah. So when when we went to the when he got to Honduras and he saw that we had two farms, commercial and specialty, mm-hmm. he was like, "How can we negotiate yeah. for me to buy the whole harvest? Love that of commercial." Oh my god, that's it great! Was, it was crazy because we've never done it. Like we've never sold our whole harvest directly for commercial coffee. Yeah. And till the till this year, till this time, we still have a good relationship with them. That's crazy. That's great too to be able to have both ends still like work together by the same relationship versus like having to weave out good relationships outside of like with different coffee roasters. Yes. What I'm actually really interested in in hearing more about is about commercial coffee versus a lot of specialty coffee. I think a lot of the time this podcast is mainly focused on specialty coffee a lot of green defects and understanding grading and what the idea of quality even is because it's subjective, right? I feel like a lot of the time it's literally just to put a price tag on some coffee, but a lot of the time we kind of strip the relationship aspect that is coffee. But I think the one thing I don't know much about is commercial coffee. And I think that it'd be great to hear from your perspective specifically, just because you have like the side by side and you've been able to see how they both interact in different ways. So what have you learned from the commercial side versus the specialty side? And like, what are the pros and the benefits from either or? Well, in commercial, the more you sell, the better, because the price is lower. Mm-hmm. But something that we learned that year, because when when this green buyer said, I want to buy the whole crop from, from this farm, we didn't feel that we were ready, because, but I didn't want to say no. I said yes immediately without thinking. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, where are we going to dry all this coffee? Because we have no space. And um, my mom said, well, you already said yes, and we're going to see how we make this happen. We started cupping because we, we didn't know. We've never cupped coffee from the commercial because the part of selling commercial coffee is way different than, than specialty. So it doesn't go on quality and um we started cupping and there were like some 80, 81 points of, of that coffee, which wasn't bad, but I wanted to make it better. And we started like talking with the with the hand pickers of, of that harvest. And we said like, we're not going to say that it's going to be a crop, a specialty. Mm-hmm. But we want to do better in in the in the hand picking. We want to we want to have better cherries to hand pick. And we started working with that coffee as if it was specialty, but not not very high in standards. Like we were right. not so strict. Uh, another thing that we never did with that coffee was doing the depulping and washing of that coffee in our farm. Like it was always just the specialty because this coffee you depulp and you wash, but in a different place and you sell it directly to exporters. And after that, you don't know what's the destination of that coffee. But that year we wanted to do everything because we wanted to have control of the quality of that coffee. And um, the green buyer said, like, I appreciate that you do all that. I know it's going to be more work. And but I wanted to see the difference in 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 a cupping note with that coffee if we treated it better. The results for that coffee, it was 84.5 after doing the whole... For commercial? Like, yes. Wow. Yes. And after, like, and I sent samples to him. So we've, first we've set a, a price without cupping because we actually thought it wasn't going to be that good. When he mm-hmm. cupped, he actually said, I'll offer more for you. Love that. Because it actually, it actually, I mean, it's good coffee. Right. So for us, it was like... That year we we said like, what do we call specialty coffee? You know, because mm-hmm. we've worked with this commercial and we made it special because we did the whole quality control as in specialty coffee, and we found a home for it. And it was, I mean, it was a good year. After that, COVID came, so the next year we did not sell, mm-hmm. but um, we did not sell that way. But but I mean, it's. If you find like, I think that if you find the right people in coffee, in green coffee buyers, you can make really good negotiations with your commercial coffees as well. 
because in volume is where your your business will raise mm -hmm. and and we did we did see that if we work very well with commercial coffees then things are gonna have a good path that's amazing yeah, it seems like you, you were able to apply a lot of the more important aspects from specialty coffee to commercial coffee. And like all of that hard work that you did paid out with, it literally paid out through that coffee roaster who saw the value of what you guys were doing. I also want to know, so you said you studied hospitality and you were looking to Disney. What did you want to do before you started going back to do coffee? Well, when I did my intern with Disney, I was working with a resort, but I t we had to take classes that um, had to do with Disney, the Disney company. Mm -hmm. And I loved everything about the marketing area. So I was trying to apply for that area. Like, how does Disney, wh why is Disney everywhere? You know, like everyone knows about Disney and all the part of marketing. It was something that was really, I was really into it. I was applying and I think that I would have gotten that job, but I don't regret staying in the mm -hmm. farm everything that i learned working at disney i've applied so many things in the farm as yeah. well because of course it's such a huge company and and a lot of things that helped for me that's great during your journey besides obviously the coffee roaster that you've been able to maintain a relationship with do you have anything that's extremely memorable that stood out to you whether it's at the farm or if it's been working with roasters or the community in, in the industry it's been many things like, for example, having my sisters working with me and the as as a, fam as a family, we've always been very close. And even though if my dad, because my dad worked in mining for like 22 years, like that he had to leave the country, you know, like he was in Central America, he was in South America, he came back and forth. But we grew up without him having him uh, physically there every day. It was right. only my mom. And, but we were always in touch and same with my sisters. Like I used to study like two, three hours away from, from home because in Las Vegas by that time we didn't have like bilingual schools. Mm -hmm. So we didn't study like in our hometown. So we used to come the weekends or every 15 days to the farm to visit my mom. And my mom was always like with my younger sister. Cause she, she never wanted to leave, um, home like she didn't want to like she by the time that she got to school there already were bilingual schools in the mm -hmm. area so she decided to, to stay there and she was always live with me, my mom and then it was my biggest sister and me living in another city studying we were always close but i one thing that i've loved and that it's been very memorable for me it's that we've kept together uh, over the years and mm -hmm. it's not easy and there's a lot of people that say that family business are not easy and mm -hmm. I, i'm not gonna say that they are because of course they're not but for us it, it's really been a a huge blessing that i don't know i think it's my mom because mm -hmm. she has maintained us together and kept us together and and we really actually love working with the farm like we have a lot of passion and i want to like mention working with my sisters like my my older my younger sister angie she studied um in a college that has to do with agricultural um majors mm -hmm. so she got she got involved in the farm in 2018 no 2019 yes she graduated from college and got back home so my mom has always been the one in charge of production so when my younger sister came, we were like, we want to give my mom a break. We want Angie to grab her job. And, and my mom, like, you could sit aside, yeah. rest for a little. You've worked for so many years. And my mom was like, if you guys put me to rest, I'll just die. Because <laughs> I've, been, I've been working my whole life and yeah. I'm not, not going to sit down. My grandma's like that, too. So, yeah. So it was like, because my dad, he was at Nicaragua and he was like, you should put your mom like you know she could mm -hmm. she, she she should calm down because my mom is she doesn't stop and um my sister has been taking in charge of that area always with my mom on her side and then angie left angie has a master's in coffee and economic um she did it in italy wow she she did quarantine in italy because that was 2020 <laughs> I, rem oof, I remember those days yeah 
she was in Italy at that time. And, um, and she's been like, Angie has the production line and she has all the administration line of our farm. And also we have a coffee shop that we opened last year in 2022. Yes. We opened, we opened a coffee shop in Las Vegas. And in 2020, one of our biggest challenges was when COVID hit, we had a lot of coffees that were not sold. A lot mm-hmm. of the specialty coffees that were not sold. There were a lot of green coffee buyers that said, I mean, we can't buy the coffee because we we don't even, we're not even moving the coffee right. that we have here. So we can't buy coffee. And we didn't want to sell it um, to the exporters in the region because we, we knew it was going to be for very low prices and we like we didn't want to do that. So right. we had the, the coffee at our warehouse and we were like thinking, what are we going to do with that coffee? So as a family, we said, why don't we start roasting and creating our brand and selling our coffee in Honduras and see mm-hmm. how it goes. We can start with family and friends. We know it's a good product. And it's product that has always been exported, not it doesn't stay, stay in under. And we can start that way. So that's how my sister Brenda, the oldest, mm-hmm. got into the business. Cause she quit the bank before COVID because she wanted like to look for another opportunity, yeah. but she wanted to be home for a while. Then COVID comes and everything stops. So she was like, Well, if She's very good in marketing. She's very good in sales. So she was like, well, I, I think I can help out. I think I can find my way here and I can help out with the sales of the of the co- of the roasting of the coffee. And at that time, we did not have a roaster home. Um, Icafe, the National Institute of Coffee, has a roasting service area. So we started roasting with them. We made a label, like a package, sticker, everything. We, we designed something and we started roasting that way. And we started selling. In Honduras, the bad thing, even though we're a coffee-producing country, we're not very good in consuming it. It's it's a challenge to sell coffee. You know, like people won't pay for people won't fit, pay for good coffee because it's a higher price. Right. People will pay for cheaper pay for cheaper coffee. So that was like a challenge. But mm-hmm. we started creating this marketing of um, the coffee from our area us as a family staying in, in, in Honduras as a family and, and trying to make our way out. So there's a lot of people that got engaged with our story and started hearing about us. And they were like, we want to buy that coffee because this girl's, I don't know, there's something about these girls that we like. And that's how we started roasting and selling our coffee in Honduras. And that's how my two sisters were already with, with us in, in the business. And, um, 2021, my dad was like, because we were all over the place. We had to go right. to San Pedro Sula, which is in another city, to roast. They packed they pack that coffee. Then we brought it back to Las Vegas, which is like a two-hour drive. And from Las Vegas, we like started looking where to distribute. So my dad was like, okay, I think we have some money to buy a roaster. So there was there's, a, there's someone in Honduras. Well, there's several people in Honduras that they do ro- roaster machines. So that's what we could afford. And we went to see those machines and we thought they worked well. So we bought a roaster at that time. And in the cupping school, I had some roasting classes as well. Mm-hmm. I, was an ex- I was not an expert, but there was, I, I always loved roasting coffee. It was because I, I didn't tell you. Hospitality is my major, but also I'm a chef. Okay. So, love that so when i when i started roasting i related a lot with with cooking yeah. so for me it was i was it was kind of easy i kind of liked it and when they bought the roaster my sister were like okay you're the one that's gonna roast because we're not gonna take that responsibility <laughs> but i always liked it and i said okay so i started learning about the the roaster like we started meeting each other seeing what because for me it's a she she's a she and <laughs> And I started like seeing how how things were gonna work for us, and then I became an, well, I'm not like an expert, but I became the roaster, right? Or Rulan, mm-hmm. the head roaster. I always like I always told people like if there's something wrong with the with the ro- with the roasting, please let me know because I'm in charge of that, and I want to get better. Like I don't want someone to just stop buying our coffee because it's not very well roasted, right. and. Uh, 
I, there's something I think there's something about that that people like that we're very sincere because we're we're learning yeah. and we want to let people know that we're learning mm-hmm. we're no experts and we want to like have feedback as well and if there's like something that someone wants their coffee differently we're very welcome like to do it as well so we started growing that line and we've been doing good there's a lot of people now that know about Ruland coffee and that they buy our coffees and in 2022 like we had the idea of having a coffee shop we wanted like for more consumers to drink good coffee mm-hmm. but we wanted to do it in our hometown because we felt like we feel very proud of where we're from and that that Ruland is from las vegas and the opportunity came for us to open up a, a shop and that was march of 2022 and it was funny because we wanted a coffee shop but we were not baristas and we did not know anything about serving coffee right, right? we knew everything about production about selling it, exporting mm-hmm roasting at that time but not to serve a cup of coffee so we started learning my older sister was the first one that got a barista certificate she was like i'll do this i'll start learning and then angie and me we started learning i did a with joe in new york with amadis i did a a small barista course as well because they're they carry our coffee as well joe they're they're another of our green coffee buyers and um, I started learning, then we opened up the shop and and we were serving good coffees and we started putting some of our specialty coffees there. And the good thing is that a lot of people from our hometown, they were like, really like, wow, this is good coffee. Mm-hmm. Like, And we've been growing now for a year with that line. And there's a lot of people that come from other cities around Las Vegas that they said, we've heard about this coffee and we've heard that there are three nice ladies here in front <laughs> We want to meet them. It's been been fun. My favorite part of everything that you said is how much strength and resilience you and your family have. Like just starting already from home and then the dedication that you and your sisters all have. But like it's not even just like, okay, we're all going to do this for our mom. It's like, okay, so each of us have our own strengths. And then even with the challenges, you're like, you didn't even back down. You're like, okay, we'll just learn this. And we'll just, we'll do this. And we'll just do this. And then... It, there's no wonder that people have found that like very magnetic that like you keep attracting good customers and like a lot of a good basis for your coffee line. People people will always be attracted to charisma and passion over just like logic and finance. So I think that like in general, the story, it's just constantly like perseverance and just dedication to the craft. And that's just so beautiful to hear on all levels from you having a good close knit relationship with your sisters. Cause that's already hard as it is, especially if like, is there big age gaps between you guys? Or are you guys also like still like close in age? Uh, we're kind of close. My, my older sister and I were three years apart and my younger sister, she's five years apart from me. I have two older sisters and I can't honestly imagine having a business with them. <laughs> It'd be such a clash of interests and clashes of responsibility being, uh, distributed. Who is your, who's been your biggest rock during this time? Like all of the stuff that you had to constantly take on. I would have to say my mom like yeah we've all seen my mom work so hard in the farms and I, I don't I don't want to take credit to my dad because sometimes he feels like it's like if I don't exist <laughs> but it's like no it's like you've been working in another industry for so many years right. and we've seen my mom like we've seen her alone for so many years struggling with so many things because as a as a woman of course, she had to lead men in the farm because mm-hmm. most of our, our hard force is our workforce is men. And we've seen her lead them and we've seen how they respect her. So and we've seen that there's nothing that my mom, my mom's never going to say, I, I can't do this. She's going to try. She'll do whatever it takes, but she's going to try. And it's something that we really have learned from her mm-hmm. and it's something that we do. Like, I don't like saying, like, for example, when that green coffee buyer, if I've would have had like another experience from my life. I would have said, no, we can't sell this because it's too much coffee. But I was like, I didn't know how we're going to dry this, but I don't know how we're going to do, but yes. And there was a lot of people that said like in the exporter that we were working with, they were like, 
between them, they said that they were like saying that we were not going to be able to dry all that coffee because it was so much. It was the whole harvest. And they were like, they're not going to be able to do it. They're not going to be able to, to sell the whole crop. And when we took the last bag of coffee, they were like, we really respect you girls. Yeah. It's amazing. It's amazing. And um, all these things we've really learned it from my mother. Mm-hmm. We, I can't say it another way. It's it's all her. And and my dad has always been our greatest cheerleader because he has never said no to us mm-hmm. as well. Like when we say this project, he's like, okay, yes, we'll see if we have the money. If not, we can go to the bank. And he's has always been supporting us. So it's nice to have the whole family. It feels nice. And um, I know that there's going to keep on challenging coming right. towards us. But it's nice that all of us are with a lot of passion and that mm-hmm. we really love working in coffee. And we've had good and bad experience, but we really right. take the good things out of everything. I love that your dad is also your cheerleaders for everybody else. So I'm, that makes me happy that everybody's on board and is like equally trying to support each other. I know that you said your mom also is leading on the farm a lot of male workers. Has she struggled with being a woman and owning her own producing farm in Honduras? For her? Um, or did she just I say, kick him to the curb too? Because she's just this boss yes. ass bitch. <laughs> yes. <laughs> just a strong, independent woman. I swear to God, listening to her. Yes, it's funny because it, my mom is really funny. And she's like, because I think also it was other times I think that now, um, with gender equity, things like for us, it was a struggle mm. when we got into the farm because they were so used to see my mom as a boss mm. that they were like, you're too young. You're too young to be our boss. It's always been your mom. Mm. But it wasn't, I don't feel it that it was because I was a woman. It was just because they were, everyone was so used to my mom. And I don't feel that my mom had that struggle of because she's a woman, she has no respect or value in, in, in leading. Because it, my mom is crazy. Like, she won't take my mom. Like if she was like, okay, if you don't want to work with me, you can just leave. I love because that. Because I just I, I want people here that, that that are willing to work. Right. I'm not gonna be here because I'm a woman or not. If you don't like it, leave. Right. That's how it is. And that's what how we are now. Because we've learned, we've learned. So I don't. We don't. Like there's people that that have asked if we've had that issue because we're women and and if there's been like something because of gender equity or if someone has said because you're girls you can't do it. Right. No, I haven't had any experience with that. Thank God. But because we really try to when I when I stand up and I have to say something I say it and mm-hmm. I. I'm sure of what I'm saying it. I'm trying not for people to say, oh, she's nervous because she's a woman. Because I've heard things from to other girls, to other people like, oh, she her voice is a little nervous. And oh, my God, this is the one that's going to be leading us. So all this experience and seeing my mom, how secure she is when she stands mm-hmm. up and she's going to speak to a group of, of male. I'm like, I'll do it as well, because I am my I'll mother's daughter. Yeah, I love how it just seems like your mom is like the best role model. Yes. Hopefully she continues what she's doing in good health and good spirits. Amen. I have this little thing on my show that I love to do that. I started doing, I think a couple episodes ago where it's like a little like spicy hot take on the industry um, where it's like, it can either be controversial or it could be a personal opinion about something. So I was Mm -hmm. curious to what your hot take was. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the little laugh. <laughs> oh my god! Well, there's a lot of the, there's a lot of things like in the industry, um, things that you, as a producer, we see and we don't like, especially things uh, in price and direct relationships. What people actually think direct relationships are. Mm-hmm. I've met people that like, and I want to mention with name. And the company, Joe Coffee and Amaris, this company has been one of the most amazing companies that I've worked with. Mm-hmm. They really uh, stay true to what they say and to what they believe. They like when they say direct relationships with the producers, they really mean it. 
like I've I've worked with Joe for six six years now. Yeah. And I receive and I receive emails from Amaris as the green coffee buyer like seven, eight times a year before the harvest, during the harvest and after the harvest. She's like always asking, How are things doing? Mm-hmm. How much coffee are you gonna have for this year? How much coffee are we gonna buy from you this year? The prices. Um, she gives me that confidence because there's a lot of people in the industry that they don't really care how the producers are struggling in yeah. origin. They just want to bring in the coffee and that's it. And I love it when I when I can actually negotiate prices because every year things change. Right. Everything things go up. And having the opportunity of actually saying this year our prices are this because of this, this, and this, because that's something that we've done as a family business. Like we take the cost of everything. We have them and we show them to the green coffee buyers. And we're like, this is our cost. This is our price. This is our, the exportation services. And this is what we're asking for. I've had people that, um, I, I've met producers because a lot of producers are getting close to us asking, what is, how can you girls sell my coffee? How can you commercialize our coffee? How can mm-hmm. you put our coffee in coffee shops and other places? Because we see you're doing good. But we, one thing that we say is if we're doing good is because we know what we have as a product. We have prepared mm. ourselves. We've been privileged to and blessed first because the language barrier is a huge thing. Yeah. Um, not many producers know the language and not many green coffee buyers go to origin and know Spanish. So there's always a, a translator doing the, the negotiating, the negotiation. So there's no word for producers and there's a lot of, like, there's some producers very famous here in the region that they were like, we've been working with this coffee shop, with this roaster for 14 years. And since we started, the prices haven't changed. And we don't, we feel like if we ask for more money, mm. I feel that they're going to leave yeah. because they've always paid for the same. And things like that really it's, it's very frustrating, like for us, and I've always said it, I feel that we've been very blessed till the till this date of meeting the green coffee buyers that we've met. Like uh, we've really been very transparent in our cost yeah. and we've had this good relationship, people that really opens up and really cares about us producers as a family. And we have this good relationships. But when I see producers in my area, that they've been producing specialty coffee for way longer than what we've done and the struggles that they have because of language, uh, because of um, not having better prices and not having the opportunity to say it because they don't know how to say it, it's it's a struggle. And we've helped a lot of, of producers as well to cut their coffees because they say, like, we sell coffee, but I don't really know what the tastes are, what the notes are. Right. I don't know the exporter does that job and they do the negotiation and and then i just receive my check at the end of the harvest so this year we had the experience that there were five producers that they were like we want you to cup our coffee and we want you to look for a green coffee buyer for coffee and it was the first time that i worked with someone else's coffee because i've always been collecting our coffee and we do the all those things for our coffee so when they brought me the green samples, I was like, I want you guys to say it. I'll roast this coffee and we're going to cup it together. Mm-hmm. And for them, it was it was a totally different experience because they were like, we've never tried our coffee. Like no one has ever said, this are your coffee notes. This, this is what you have and this is what you're producing. And I really like, there were some amazing coffees in that cupping session that um, when they started telling me the prices that they sold, it was like, it was prices that we had for the commercial coffee when we sold the whole har- harvest. That was in January. We started working. I started sending the green samples to different places, places that I knew, places that I didn't not know. Because for every year, it works the same. Every year for us, I I send the green samples first to the, to the buyers that we already have. But I always send emails. Or if I can travel, I travel to take a sam- green samples. And I did this with, with them. And there was a roaster in Ohio that he was so amazed with this coffee. He was like, oh, my God, I've never tried something better than this. And we got very good prices for, the, for this producers. 
But I try to keep transparent the whole process. Even though I knew the producers were not going to understand, I sent them I sent them the emails because they, they have kids. And I was because I asked the producers, do you have an email account? And they were like, no, but my daughter does. Mm. And I was like, I want to copy your 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 kids. <laughs> I want to copy your kids in the emails. Yeah, yeah. Um, even though they don't know English, but there's a Google Translate and you can do the translate for you to see what the what the green buyer is saying because I don't want to be the one just saying this is what he's saying this is what he's saying I right. want you to also read and understand in one way um, for you to see that what I'm saying it's not a lie mm-hmm. because it was a huge responsibility for me to to carry this this coffees for them and this is and then like I invited them to the farm we talked I, we said everything that the the green buyer wanted. I listened to what they wanted and we did a call with the green coffee buyer. We did a video call and I said, okay, the producers are here and this is what they're saying. And it was, they felt very happy for that. They said that there's a lot, and I understand that exporters and, and people, not everyone's going to work like this because it's a huge amount of producers and no one has the time for it. But, um, I think if, if, if there's people, if there's more people taking care of what producers want and what their issues in the farms are, a lot of things can change because there's a lot of people producing very good coffees and that they're like saying, maybe I'll just walk away from coffee because I don't see that I, that I, can, that I can make a living out of this. Oh my God. Jeez. That's really rough. See, somebody who does coffee buying and coffee roasting, I think the one thing that also frustrates a lot of coffee roasters, and I I bet since you have such a huge network, I would love to learn Spanish and be able to cross cross the barriers to be able to understand the needs and teach and, and do all those other things. But I love the fact that you took it upon all the other responsibilities, you you kept that community of like, I will help you because your coffee is good or like this is worth like trying to teach and it'll just become this domino effect through that experience. Like, I guess like one, do you still do that for them as well? Or are they able to do it on their own now? Um, I think I'll keep on working with them Mm -hmm. until they, because I did tell them like at one point I don't like, I want to step away and let you do your negotiation. But for now, because it's the first time, they were like, "No, no, no, we're really happy with what you're doing." <laughs> but I'm like, "Also, you have to, you have to right. feel um, confident that you are in charge and that you can do it as well." Because there's no better thing than doing your own negotiation of your coffee. Mm-hmm. Because the only one that knows how hard that coffee is costs themselves. is us. Yeah. Yes. So through that experience, this also be piggybacking off of what you do currently. Do you ever see a future in education? I guess is essentially what you were doing in that circumstance with that that producer. Yeah. Like, are you interested in doing that for different communities? Or, like, what would you like what you're doing with the whole family business to do in the future? Like, what's the long-term goals that you're looking at? Yes. Well, right now, what we're doing recently, uh, I'm in New York right now. Mm-hmm. I'm based in to New York, because we want to open up a new line of distribution. We want to start roasting in United States and, and distributing here because we know it's a big opportunity and and uh, growing it for us to grow the, the business. Um, it's been like a very wild experience for me moving here. I formed the I formed like I legally formed the, the brand here and I'm learning right now. I was like three days ago, I was talking with a roaster talking about this same topic about producers um the opportunities that they have and Mm -hmm. and like especially small roasters when they actually never meet the producer they don't they don't even visit origin because they buy their coffees from an importer it's something that my sisters and i have talked about because we've last year when we started the coffee shop there was a lot of people interested because we like to explain a lot we Mm -hmm. we we really want people to to leave understanding or learning something new for us in the coffee shop it was like uh talking about varieties it's not a common thing in people in 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 the hunters community they don't know about the different varieties in in coffee they just know it's coffee 
And it's something that we say we, we should feel very proud because Honduras has very good coffee. Yeah, for sure. But our consumers, our, our national consumers really don't know, don't appreciate it. And there's a lot of people that you'll see that they don't know anything about coffee, even though they live in one of the greatest production countries in, in, the, in the whole world. And mm -hmm. for the coffee shop, there's been people that they were like, how can we learn more about farms? Because because we've learned here, but we want to see it. So we yeah. were like, OK, let's start doing coffee tours. Mm -hmm. And we started doing coffee tours and we've we've had we've grew grew. There's that line has been growing so much that every month we have always people that they're writing emails like we want to book a tour at the farm. And we actually explain what each of our jobs are. And my like, it all starts with my sister in, in farm in the farm and productions. My mom's there and they actually tell you what the, the coffee plant needs. How does it eat? And all these things, right? right. Nutrients and everything. They explain all that in, in, in the tour. Then I come with the, with the part of quality control and we try and we try to explain how the whole process works and and we have um like the samples right of everything and and people to try and and this and, and that and then we end with my older sister in in the part of of the coffee shop mm -hmm. like the this is where the the coffee ends like in a in a in a cup so we try to make the tour in a very educating way mm -hmm. and there's like producers that have booked the tour because they say you have very nice farms and we want to do the same thing that you're doing mm -hmm. and there's a lot of producers that they go to the farm and they tell my sister angie like can you please go to our farm and, and tell us what to do over there and and my sister goes like and we we've always said it's like if we are growing as a family and as a business it's not just us. Like we want to see it in our region. We want to mm -hmm. see that everyone's growing and thank God we were very privileged of having the education, knowing the, the language to communicate to green coffee buyers. And it would be so wrong from us to not share this knowledge right. with other people, share the experience because there's a lot of people that, that can learn from what we're doing, but we also learn from other producers what they're doing. Mm -hmm. Uh, because I've always said, like, there's a lot of people that say, oh, you girls are, like, top of the top. And we're like, no, like, we, we're we learning and we've mm -hmm. made mistakes in our way. And we like to learn from others as well, because from this producers, they have they have varieties that we have. And they have the notes that of those coffees were just incredible. And I was like, what do you do? And they're like, right. the coffee just talks by its own. We don't do anything. <laughs> So it's, it's, for me, it was such a learning experience because it was like coffees that I cupped 92 points and it was like, I mean, your coffees are just the best. You do speak with such, such confidence and knowledge and knowing as just, it's just so it's captivating to listen to you talk, <laughs> even if it's just your own personal story. And I love the part that it's essentially like we, what we give, we, we give back and what we want to receive of others we want them to receive as well, like giving back to the community and growing the community. It trails along all your lineage from your sisters and your mom, how much you want to help and educate. I also think that I want to cook some of these coffees. <laughs> I'm like, I want some of these coffees. It's like, I love Honduras coffees. Honduran coffees are delicious. I can send you samples. I can send you. Yeah. <laughs> I actually wanted to piggyback off of the idea of what direct relationships were, because I think that I've said this before on a previous episode, and I think I also had someone else, uh, one of the guests, say something very similar, which is the idea that everybody likes the idea and this prof like this marketable idea of direct relationship trades through coffee without actually putting forth the work. And I think Amaris also talked about this too, is that building relationships is not supposed to be transactional and it's not just supposed to be like a one-time thing if you're trying to actually build a relationship and yeah i think that's a really good hot take i think a lot of people should pay attention to trying to build a relationship outside of just like what 
the roasters needing. Like, obviously, it's really easy to be able to look at a catalog of all these listed options and be like, okay, so I want this one and I want this one. I want to try this one and this one without actually trying to ask the importer for more information or ways of contacting the producers themselves. And I think that that's just a good hot take in general. Or at least a feedback, you know, like something that I really like is having, it's not just about me selling coffee and Mm -hmm. that a shop or a roaster has our name and our picture somewhere. It's also that I want to know how that, I want to know feedback. I want to know how that coffee behaved in different stages in the different time of months if there's something that we could do better that really it's really helpful you know for producers because working 100 percent in coffee this is what we do and uh, right. this i i make a living out of selling a product and i want to know how things are going as well and there's green coffee priors that you only hear from them once a year and then the other year again but you never hear something back you never hear if everything good if it's right. coffee that's been accepted by consumers or so what do consumers say about the coffee? And it's something that Amadis and Joe have. Like each year they sent me a year. This is what consumers said about this coffees. Um, so for next year, we're going to buy a little bit more of this one because we saw that there was a lot of acceptance from this coffee. So I really like Joe is one of the people that I always put as an example because they have like the whole package. They mm-hmm. they really they really say direct relationships. They really mean it. And by the experience that I have with them, that we have, like I'm very confident in saying Amaris. I think, like for example, in 2020 it was COVID, but at the end of that year, Honduras got hit by two hurricanes one oh week God. after the other, and we knew that was going to affect our harvest. And I emailed Amaris and I emailed the rest of our green coffee buyers and I said. We think we're going to have um, less quality in our coffees because of what's happening. Right. Send pictures of everything. And Amaris was one of the few of, of the green coffee buyers that, that answered and that said, Andrea, I know the hard work that you guys put in, in your coffees. Even though if it's a lower quality, we're still going to buy it. I'm not going to negotiate in prices because it's lower quality. So it's this type of things that mm-hmm. I say, if they do it, why can't others do right. it as well? Because it's, it's not something hard. Um, Marisa has said it in different interviews as well. She tries to get feedback in a period of one week, two weeks max of those samples that she has cupped. I've I've met uh, some other roasters that passed like two months and I don't really know if they cupped what they thought. And I email them again and they're like, oh, yes, we we cupped and this is what we think. So it feels nice when someone really shows respect Mm -hmm. for what we're doing, even though if they're not going to buy. But at least I know that I want a feedback because I want to know the opinion of other people. What you and I think it's good. Another one's going to think it's good, but I want something better. Mm -hmm. And I want to know also what he's looking for, because like I said, it's not only our coffees. Like if I know a producer that has what this person is looking for, then I can recommend as well. Right. Maybe you didn't like your coffee, but I want you to try this one. But there's there's so hard um, to find this 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 type of people in the industry. Yeah, yeah, people who are consistent and reliable in that sense, and the true essence of like, even if you're going through a hard time, I have your back. Yeah, mm-hmm. but like I said, until this day, I've been very like we've been really blessed blessed of finding the people that are buying our coffees but uh, um but also when i start like a new relationship like i tell them this is the way we work and i like tell them like if i sent you an email please answer back because mm-hmm. i don't want to be wondering did he get the email or not um I, I like the same way i treat you please treat me back because this is at the end of the day even though how much passion i have for coffee this is what i make a living out right. i mean this is business and i gotta keep it going because there's a lot of people and i talked this with one roaster he, he said that there's some green coffee buyers that think that they're making a favor to the producer in buying their coffees and they really don't care about negotiating a price because they're like oh they should feel happy because we're buying their coffee and there's people that won't even buy it Mm-mm. and i'm like when people think like that it's like Mm-mm. I don't even know where we're going. I wish people could see my face right now. <laughs> mm. That left a really bad taste in my mouth. Ugh. 
yeah that's and and you'll see like if you talk to other producers you'll you'll found find out about many stories like well that's what this podcast is for (laughs) like i've heard producers saying things that i'm like i mean i don't know i don't know how how i would react if i get to have that type of answers i don't think i'd say anything appropriate yeah It sucks, too, because I can only imagine, like, that's your whole life and then generations going back and just to be disregarded and disrespected in that way. And it's like, we're giving, we're gifting you this product. Like, we could have just kept this to ourselves. You're the one seeking it. If it wasn't for, like, the coffee regions, like, most of the world wouldn't be operating the way it is. Ugh. See, that's the kind of shit that I feel like people do need to hear, though. I always feel so bad when producers can't just, like, vocalize the experiences they've had to endure or when they need help, they can't feel like they have a community to reach out to. Obviously, the the language barrier being as an an issue as it is, language is always an issue. But it just hurts my heart. There's some people that I, because that, they have some green coffee buyers, they're like, what, what do you think we should do to make things better? And I'm like, well, learning the language mm-hmm. of the country that you're buying coffee would be nice. Right. I mean, you don't have to be an expert in the language, but at least how to negotiate and and have that connection, really connection with the producer. Because it's not just about buying directly the coffee, but you not having that talk in that relationship with the producer because we have so many things to say and so Mm. many things happen in our farms and especially when we have years of relationship like every year even though I have my relationship with Joe has been the longest I feel nervous every year that I send samples because I know they're cupping our work the our our whole year of work and I always feel nervous and imagine for those people that actually don't even know how to speak with their green coffee buyers how do they feel when they don't even get a feedback back and no one tells them this and that is happening because i've heard producers say like we've had a relationship for 10 years with with this green coffee buyer but from one day in another they never came back they never bought our coffee anymore and we don't know what happened And then the, there are green coffee buyers that say, what can we do to make a difference? I think that that just kind of said a lot in the nicest way yeah. possible. <laughs> that said a lot. I feel like that's kind of been a re- reoccurring dilemma with a lot of the guests that I've had that are from the regions where coffee comes yeah. from, where mm-hmm. it's like the coffee, they don't get to try their own coffee. A lot of the specialty coffee that is stayed, it usually gets exported or they don't under, they don't have the information on cupping or roasting and knowing the process of doing that. Let alone once it gets to the process where they feel confident, they send it out to importers and then <laughs> green buyers and importers have the audacity to say some shit like that. And then they don't get feedback or just even like ideas of notes for the future to be able to showcase to other importers. <sighs> I'm, I'm frustrated for you, and I don't even do this as my job. Ugh. When I first started um, negotiating my coffee, I remember that when I asked for a price, there was someone from an exporter that was there, and he was like, you can't ask for that amount of money, Andrea, because, I mean, they also have their own business. And I'm like, okay, wait. If we can't bring it to the middle, right. because I'm showing them my cost of producing my coffee, and the green coffee was there, I was like, this is my cost and this is what the exporter is taking away from my final price to export my coffee and if you're saying that i have to lower my price for you to have more benefit than this i, I don't want to negotiate my coffee here and yeah. that's the opportunity that not many producers have like others would say like i mean it's okay because i have to at the end of the day i have to sell my coffee right. one way or another because i can't stay with this coffee for me it's been a big learning and growing experience because I used to be like very introverted before coffee. And as I said, I've learned a lot from my mom of not taking things from people. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Sorry. And and it's something that, that I've learned and 
that's something that me and my sisters do and now like it i mean if it, if you're just looking at your beneficial then okay no then go and look for someone that wants to work with you because we don't want to work with you i think it's good to have that as like your forefront with how you negotiate and build new relationships with people because then the standard is set I think if there was a standard set for importers working with producers in a way where the framework is negotiable, like you have with Joe, it would build so many opportunities for so many other producers that people don't know about that don't get a lot of the the ability to showcase, like the one that you said you cupped with the producers that tasted amazing. Joe sets a good example for, and Amaris also sets a great example for coffee buyers as how you should treat people as people and like if you're going to try and maintain a a good rapport with producers you should put in the work to do that it is what it is and it has taken us several years to to learn and to and to actually be in front of Mm -hmm. and decided of what we want and like i've met people that they're like you're like as Rulan, because there's people that say you in the region as Rulan, you are teaching other producers the wrong way to to negotiate coffee because you just can't talk to people like this is what it is. And I mean, I've never been disrespectful, but I know what my product um, has as a value and it has a price. And I mean, I'm not going to just give it give it cheaper because i know how much it costs mm-hmm. there's a lot of producers that they're like you want you girls to to, to negotiate our coffees now mm, because but, of the way you guys carry yourselves man i feel like i have my own comments as to why like that mindset it's is a really very hard. controversial topic and not yeah. many people like bring it to the table but it's a reality that actually yeah. hits us and and it's there and not many people talk about it. And it's something that really is affecting so many producers. I love that we're talking about it. I love that there's a platform to have that for people to feel comfortable to talk about it because that's essentially everything I want this podcast to be. Yeah. <laughs> it's really interesting too for me when I, I run my social media for my Instagram, which is a learning curve. And the DMs I get, <laughs> it's really interesting how much people have many opinions to the work that I'm trying to do and not all of them obviously being supportive. So it's like at the end of the day, like it doesn't matter who doesn't like what's being said. It's important that things are being brought out and that if somebody genuinely cares, there's going to be another person like me or Amaris where they'll find their niche and try to make a difference to bring more community to help. So I think like what you're doing for the region back home, what Amaris is doing for setting an example as a good, genuine person. Gosh, she's so nice. And then just as a coffee, yeah. she's just so nice. I loved talking to her. And just obviously, as humble as I can, like what I'm trying to do for everyone else. Just like at the end of the day, we need to do better always. Yes. Mm-hmm. I loved listening to you. Literally, I don't think this is the first time in a while where I've been on an episode where I really didn't have much to say. I was like, hmm, this is nice. You are so eloquent. You just like say everything and deliver everything poignantly that I love to listen to it. Thank you for this platform. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for coming. I'm so glad (laughs) that you are on this show's whole lineage now i just can't i just i'm never going to get over the fact that i keep meeting the most inspirational and strong and hard work ethic women in this industry as i have been on more of a personal level than just work relationships it's great and i have loved having you on the show and i think a lot of people are going to love your story if they haven't already heard it before on different platforms and i think a lot of people producers if they do listen to the show can really resonate a lot of what you were saying and vocalizing the issues back in the regions too. Yes. Really appreciate that. Cause I've heard your podcast since day one. Oh. And I was always like, every time that I listened to someone new, I was like, yes, that's true. And I can't, I kind of like the, the vibe here. So when you, you, you texted me, I was like, Oh my God, she oh. knows about me. <laughs> yeah, of course. 
And I'm glad you were excited to come on. I'm always curious to people. You talk about feedback. I'm always curious to feedbacks of people's views on the show and everyone's opinions. And I think every time, every episode has been a journey for me personally as somebody who interviews other people, but also as a person who, like you, if you've listened to the show, I'm still a newborn infant to learning so many of the nuances that exist. Um, But every person has been just teaching me, like, I feel like a great student for just absorbing a lot of this information that you've had to learn over the course of years. I'm just learning in the first year and I'm just like, great. Um, (laughs) But I really do appreciate you being so truthful and honest and I loved learning about you and your family. And honestly, it'd be really cool to have all of you guys, like the whole family on the show. Like I would love to hear yeah. everybody's banter and descriptions. It'd be so amazing. <laughs> thank you so much. And I hope you have a great evening. You too. Thank you. Uh, uh, talk about an episode that has so much good information. Uh, so much good information. I think like her hot takes... It's nothing that we haven't heard before, but I loved her spin on it. I love how interconnected she is to her community, how much she she wants the community to also thrive. And I feel like there's a reason why she's doing so well. She's she's infectious of this, like, Honduras is an important region for the coffee world. It's important to treat us with respect. We have the right to determine what our value in our coffee is. And it's like, I want to stand up for that. I also just loved how much it's so interconnected in her life, like not even just from when she was younger to her journey to get to where she's at, the Disney jump, the Disney connection, and then her finding her connection back home, her sisters finding their niches and what they do to help their mother. And then her mother, her mother reminds me of my family, which is like, oh yeah, we're never going to stop working. That's not going to happen. If you tell me to stop working, I'm going to die. Um, I, I, I kid you not, my grandmother has probably said the exact same thing. Such strong work ethics. And I love... I just... Uh, they just... They do seem like genuine people. Not just for what they have produced as a coffee, which I can't wait to get samples of. Because, you know, personally for me, when I source coffee... I try to source women-owned and women-produced if I can, at least one of the two. And to showcase, to have that connection and build that relationship would be fucking amazing. There were so many good tidbits. She just like, I didn't need to direct the, the conversation. She's like, I came in here and I know exactly what I was going to talk about. It makes me happy. And there's a reason why I kept bringing up Amaris on this episode is because if, if she's out here making a difference, people need to learn from that. And like her episodes had so much good information of why it's so important to not be those people who are like not putting forth effort. She also reiterated the idea of like feedback and giving them because that's going to determine that person's livelihood. Like people, I think, in the coffee world need to actually understand. And these are also for the coffee bros that like coffee's cool and it's cute and it's science. But at the end of the day, it's still a people oriented thing. What you're doing And what you're consuming and what you're investing in and trying to learn about is not just like a cute little data analysis project. It's about the people and who you're sourcing from. And like the consumers should be taught that that's the most important thing. Obviously, everybody wants a good cup of coffee. But like there's a reason why everyone's attracted to what Andrea and her family are doing. It's not just about the coffee. Sure, they could send they could have like 95 plus graded coffee and win all these awards and still receive as much traction as they do. But I think a lot of what they were doing from their hometown and their home region to receive more about the fact that they highlighted their story and how much that's that's the heart of it. That's what it's about. 